Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 6, 16, 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocritists, high, high for they disfigure their, their faces, their faces, but I say to you, but they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your, her, your head and, see, and wash your face. Then fasting may not be seen by others, but by your fi- father who is in secret and your father who is sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You will uh, appreciate that this morning. Well, I have one more announcement, actually. It kind of pertains to our, uh, what we're looking at this morning in our sermon um, and then this passage. And it's that other brochure, a uh, little handout in there. We're looking, we have a forum this afternoon at 4 p.m. called Life Through a Screen, uh, the benefits, risks, and wounds of the internet. I really want to encourage everybody to go to this. Uh, there's childcare. There's going to be food trucks afterwards. Um, at the, this is at the central location uh, with a great panel, Elizabeth Hasselbeck, Annie Downs, Mark Fuzette. Uh, love for you to be there. And Scott Sauls, who's a senior pastor over at Christ Presbyterian Church Central and, um, and comes here every now and then. I'm sure you've heard him preach as well. Love for you to join us at that. Uh, it's at 4 p.m. You can register online. You can also show up and register uh, we'd love for you to be there. It's going to be a really good way to talk about the reality of the internet and social media. And um, I think it's a good connection to what we're talking about this morning as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I read an article recently um, that it was kind of a blog post on The Verge. And it's uh, one where a guy said, I'm still here, back online after a year without the internet. A guy named Paul Miller wrote this. And listen to what he says. He took, he took a full year and he walked away from the internet. And I don't think, I think it may be more surprising than you think the results of what he says. Here's a, an excerpt. So the moral choices aren't very different without the internet. The practical things like maps and offline shopping aren't hard to get used to. People are still glad to point you in the right direction, but without the internet, it's certainly harder to find people. It's harder to make a phone call than to send an email. It's easier to text or Snapchat or FaceTime than drop by someone's house. Not that these obstacles can't be overcome. I did overcome them at first, but it didn't last. It's hard to say exactly what changed. I guess those first months felt so good because I felt the absence of pressures of the internet. My freedom felt tangible, but when I stopped seeing my life in the context of I don't see the use of the internet, the offline existence became mundane, and the worst sides of myself began to emerge. Really interesting. He continues on, and he actually says, what did he learn from this experience? Well, he learned that he missed a lot. That's about what he learned. He didn't demonize the internet, and he didn't, he didn't also glorify it, but he took a moment, and this is somebody who just wrote a blog post for, it said he was writing so much that his boss even said, please stop writing, you're writing too much, and that he actually examined his soul for a moment. He stopped for a little while, and he actually examined himself. It's interesting, and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and 
We've reached a point in this chapter, chapter 6 of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, if you're unfamiliar. And Jesus takes a sermon. He goes up on a mountainside and he preaches a sermon. And at the beginning of it, in the first portion of it, he actually talks about how we need to show our righteousness. How do we grow in showing who we are? But then right after that, he begins to warn us of the ways that we try and show our righteousness. How we try and prove ourselves. And this is one of those ways. Fasting. It may be kind of a strange thing for us. I don't know if you you've, are familiar with fasting, but I think it connects well to what we're even looking at here. And even for this forum this afternoon. Because fasting is more than just a deprivation of food. It's actually what the, in the Old Testament what they would call a self-affliction of the soul. It was afflicting our soul in order to see what's really there. Taking inventory. It's a way to stop in order to see. And that's really what it is. See, spirituality, aesthetics, or depriving ourselves of things, it, it, it can sometimes be a cool thing. You know, sometimes we look at Lent and those kind of things as like a spiritual whole 30, you know, a way we can do that. But that's actually not what fasting is. Fasting isn't a moderation thing. It's not to, to, to reset our system. It's actually a, a, a moment of stopping to afflict our bodies and even our souls to actually see what's really going on in there. And what was interesting about his blog post was really at the end of it, he said, well, I just realized I was less connected and now I'm jumping back online. You, you can actually fast. You can actually stop doing things and it not do anything to your soul. So what, what's the difference? What is Jesus saying here? Because that's what's going on with the Pharisees, right? That's why he's saying this. There are people that look gloomy, that do this whole kind of charade with, with where they look when they fast and they don't eat. So everybody can look at them and feel like they, they're doing great, you know. But that's, that's the problem, right? We can do a lot on the external without doing anything internally without actually transforming our character. So how do we go to that and look at this? I think there, there are two ways that this passage draws out who we're to be in terms of fasting. One is being congruent. Is our, is our inside congruent with our outside, right? A pretty simple question. Is there congruence with what's really going on inside of you and what's happening outside of you? It's kind of what fasting is about, right? It's about not eating and seeing what's there, right? But there's more to that. Is there a congruence? And secondly, is there a repentance, a turning? That's what that word means. We're going to look more at what that means, more than just a spiritual uh, platitude word. It's a really deep, powerful way of living. So congruence and repentance, two things, two things there. You know, fasting here and looking at congruence in these just few verses but that Jesus draws this out, fasting is actually all throughout the Bible. If you did kind of a word study in your phone or um, in, in, in the back of a concordance of some sort, you'd see it. there are multiple passages, particularly in the Old Testament, it was really held up. And usually for the Jewish people, there was a one-time-a-year fast. So once a year, major fast, everyone would stop and actually fast. But what happened... Uh, was up to this point in history, the Pharisees in the New Testament, which you see Jesus talking about, began to take fasting and they would start doing it twice a week. 
So instead of just doing it once a year, they multiplied that on top of itself in order to feel spiritual, in order to, in their terms, connect to God. Now, they thought that because they were doing it, that's what they were doing. But Jesus is saying you can really miss it. There can be a deep incongruence between what you're doing externally and internally. The, the, the image that they're producing, the disproportionate amount that, that Jesus is trying to say, the gloominess, right? And it's interesting, you know, we could talk about many things, not just food here, fasting from anything. I really want to hone in on actually the, our use of technology and social media because I really think that that's kind of one of the greatest things for us today. And, 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 and hear me say at the outset, this is not, and this is why I read this first beginning, uh, you know, illustration of this man's blog, it's not about beating up the internet, that's not what this, this is about. And that's not what this forum is about tonight. It's actually about us stopping to take inventory. Is there congruence? Because isn't it true on the internet? I have read, I could, you know, there's so many things I could read about. And you've probably read them too, about how we use the internet to promote our own images. To promote ourselves. We put ourselves out there. We put an image out there. We even have blogs where we may share, and this is not to, to, to uh, make trite if you do this, but to, we share, isn't it interesting how much we are willing to share our hearts online and there really isn't as much give and take face to face? I find that very fascinating. Because we can be a real people that are here, here, here I am, but how much is there of really being known and knowing ourselves? Multiple sources talk about how interesting it is that we love to type out a million characters, but yet the, the understanding of our reflection, the understanding of ourselves has gone down tremendously. In fact, they've created these places all, if you, if you go online and do this again, here's a, a search, it's called quiet rooms. Universities all over the country have online this, hey, come to our quiet room, a place where you have to check your cell phone at the door. You cannot use it inside. Some people use it as meditation. Some people just go just to be quiet because we have lost the understanding of what it means to actually sit in silence because aren't we so used to when we're just kind of bored and sitting around, just kind of picking it up and just kind of doing this. I do it because it's in my pocket. It's easy to do but we don't stop and see what's really going on. There's a passage in Genesis, uh, way back at the very beginning of the Bible, called Genesis 11. You may have heard this before. It's called the Tower of Babel. And in this passage, it talks about how the people really wanted to make a name for themselves. So they created this tower. They used all of their forces, all their technology to create this beautiful tower to reach the heavens. Now, to and they said, it says they did so to make a name for themselves. Now, what that meant was not necessarily that they wanted to be just popular. But what that means is, in, if, you, if you break it apart, it means that they wanted to make a nature for themselves that was apart from God, something significant, something powerful, something that disembodied them from limitation. And that's what they were doing in Genesis 11. Isn't it so key and easy for us to think about how we can utilize technology for that in our world? Even if you're not on social media, if you're, even if you're one of those that's, that kind of may say, and this is not true, but some people are like, oh, that social media stuff, isn't that just for college students? No, it's not. Everybody uses some form of social media. 
And we use it, and isn't it true, when you look on any sort of, especially Instagram, which is usually probably the most popular, that the photos are always of people happy. There's never something where somebody's just kind of like, it's the worst day ever, you know, like, this is just, you don't do that. Like, that's a posting faux pas. Like, you just don't put that kind of stuff. You put happiness, you put things that are fun, a meal you ate, you know, that's kind of how Instagram got big. It was like, let me take a photo of my food. You know, it's like, all right, I'm glad you ate that. You know, this is amazing how we utilize it for that. But we use it to, to promote, there's a part of it in our hearts that we're wanting to disembody ourselves. And we use it in work as well. The way that there are multiple sources to talk about our multitasking, right? That actually we have emails that come in over and over and we can do it from our phone. We can do it sitting and waiting for something. But you know what's interesting? They're also doing studies about even though we have access more and more to those things, actually our productivity has gone down. It hasn't increased. And our, our quality of work hasn't gotten any better. We're just busier and we find ourselves more exhausted. I, I want to reference a few uh, things for you here. It may be like, okay, why are you reading it? But this is interesting to me. There's a magazine called the Cyborg Manifesto, right? Listen to what they quoted about this kind of thing. They said, trapped for millions of years in nature's garden referring to the Garden of Eden, with God calling the shots, we've finally discovered an escape, an escape hatch. Advances in computer tech, biotech, and nanotech, we have unlocked the promise of controlling our ev evolutionary future. We can transcend ourselves. Now, that may sound like, you know, artificial intelligence kind of thing. That's not really where they're going. They're talking about today, right now, the desire for us to transcend ourselves, isn't that what we're wanting to do in our images, in our work, in our productivity, is how do we get beyond ourselves to, how do we get out of this temporal, finite body in order to make ourselves larger than we are? The Bible talks about this, and this is what Jesus is getting at here, that we are not to split the body and soul. Isn't that what the Pharisees were doing? They were trying to divide their body and their soul to make themselves limitless in order to make themselves larger that they got, and that's why it says they received their reward in full. What is their reward? Everybody saw them and thought they were great. Man, those guys are so pious. They must be so close to God. That's who I need to be like. In fact, over and over, the disciples themselves are saying, wait, our righteousness has to be better than the Pharisees. Their righteousness, their way of loving God is the most. How can we do that? The image, the promotion of self, isn't it there? How do we escape that? The importance of this physical body. There's a thing called dualism that, that happens here. And dualism is the splitting of our soul and our body that the Bible's trying to say, no, you cannot do it. Your body and your soul go together. And yes, your soul is being transformed as your body is wasting away, but your body is actually, this is why we celebrated resurrection last week with Jesus rising from the grave. He actually says, I want to eat a piece of fish. And the disciples are like, wait, you want to eat fish? You just rose from the dead? What? 
It's because our bodies and our souls are linked. You know this. You know when you're depressed in your soul or you have anxiety in your soul how much it, it, it works against you physically. How you can feel down. How it affects your, your energy level. Our internal and our external muscular, there has to be a congruence. We cannot separate them. And when we do, it's a danger to us and those around us. Here, here's one way that we may have done that. How did you handle your taxes this week? Did you kind of see your taxes as kind of like, and I think it's interesting that the tax day fell basically the day after Easter. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Because how much of us actually made the connection between the two of those things? Did you know there is a huge connection? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead bodily means that you and I should actually see the way we handle our taxes in a specific way. That the, what we pay to the government, our material possessions, how do we handle it? Are we honest about it? Do we report everything? Do we see our money as valuable? Do we separate our spiritual life and our physical life? I think there's a massive question there. How much do we actually see what goes on in here in our worship actually connecting what goes on out there in every way? That's why I always say about offering plates, don't let it pass by you. I, I, I'm not asking you about how much you put in it. I'm saying don't let it pass by you without it reminding you that there are actual physical, tangible things, resources in your life that this has to do with. Your money, your resources, your time, your life has to do with that. Don't separate it. The Bible is making a congruence about how much maybe... You need to step back. Are you a workaholic? Do you work too much because you see too much of the physical and not enough of what your spiritual life connects to it? Do you worship your children and their time and their resources and their life? Do you need to step back and see, why do I do that? Where are you with your friendships? Do you see your friendships and your jobs as separate from what goes on in here? Do you go back to your campuses and find yourself buried in work that has nothing to do with your worship? Jesus is saying it has everything to do with it. You cannot walk around with gloomy faces and act as if there is a separation and your soul is wasting away while you're trying to make your body work. Don't do it then we are becoming hypocrites if we do. Isn't that, and maybe you're here this morning and I hope there are people who walk through this door and maybe are revisiting church again or maybe going, what in the world is this passage about? I hope you're hearing me say the fact that Christians have to be congruent because isn't one of the greatest things that people say that it's wrong with Christians is that we're not consistent, we're not congruent, we say all these spiritual things and then live another way? We treat our taxes, we treat our money, we treat our friendships, our families, our school, or whatever it may be, in a completely different way, disassociated with what's really going on inside of us. That is what fasting is about. It's not just food, it's about your soul. It's about what's going on in it. 
There's an article called Stop Googling, Let's Talk. I love this article. Listen to what it says. Across generations, technology is implicated in this assault on empathy. We've gotten used to being connected all the time, but we have found ways around conversation. At least from conversation that is open-ended and spontaneous, in which we play with ideas and allow ourselves to be fully present and vulnerable. But it is in this type of conversation where we learn to make eye contact, to become aware of another person's posture and tone, to comfort one another and respectfully challenge one another. The empathy and intimacy flourish in these conversations. We learn who we are. This stop Googling, let's talk is crying out, not from a, from a, from a Christian newspaper or anything. It's, it's, it's an article saying, what do we need? We need incarnation. We need flesh. We need connection. Empathy is about us, and that's what we can severely lose, is someone actually knowing you and where you are and who you are. This is the profound thing of, the, of, of Easter, of the resurrection. Here's what's incredible. Jesus right now in this moment is not spiritually in heaven. He's actually physically in heaven for us. If he is not physically there, the empathy that we so deeply need with our Father in heaven is non-existent. If Jesus doesn't go to heaven physically, if he is not still raised from the dead physically, then we are ones that should be kind of going, well, I should decide whether my spiritual life needs some help or my physical life, and we can divide it. No. This is saying, this article is even crying out our great need for empathy. And this is why our congruence needs repentance. Repentance is this. It's a turning. And oftentimes we think of repentance as turning from bad things to good things. You know, that's what maybe that first blog post would make us think of is, is, okay, I took a year off from the internet I see the bad things that it does, now I'm gonna do some good things. That's not what it's about. The, the internet isn't just all bad or all good. It's about us looking, and this is what repentance really is. This is what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, when you fast, anoint your head, with, uh, with, uh, uh, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. It's communing with God. It's that relationship. And how do we do that? It's not by turning from bad things to good things. He's saying by turning from bad and good things to Jesus. It's submitting both the things, both the ways that we internalize, use technology, the internet, anything in our lives. Money, friendships, things that we are, we are idolizing, things that we think we are trying to squeeze the life out of in order to make us significant that don't really do it. He's saying we need to stop and look at that. We need to fast from those things. I remember I, when I worked on campus at Vanderbilt, we used to put on this, um, me, a couple campus, other campus ministers and I on campus would put on these large events called the Veritas Forum. 
And one year, we had this brilliant MIT professor named Rosalind Picard come in. Now, you may not know her name, but she uh, had a deep impact on me just thinking about her talk. And what we would do is we'd have these speakers come in and they do the, this kind of presentation of who they are and what they, what they do, give us their story, and then do a Q&A, a huge Q&A. And we would have, gosh, we had anywhere from 800 to 1,500 students come and pack these halls to listen. Rosalind's specific uh, area is called effective computing. Effective computing is how you deal with emotions and affections for people who may deal with autism or struggle with Asperger's and those kind of areas. It's really beautiful if you see what she does. But she's funny about it because if you see her book, it's not a book any of us would read or get. Maybe like two or three of us in this room would be able to read it and understand it. But when she came and sat, the thing that was so profound, I think, to everyone in that room was during the Q&A portion, after she had finished her presentation, and people were like, don't you think, and people all over the campus came, so it wasn't just you know, a certain slice. How do you feel about us growing in technology and, and becoming greater and greater? And this is a real conversation, by the way. I don't know where you sit with that, but most people are using and thinking and believing that technology is our way out. It is our way of the future. And her answer, as someone who is a genius on emotion and captivity was, we cannot leave our humanity. She was so humble about her own limitations in humanity. She even said many times, she's like, I know I wrote the book on this. But the only way I know this is by being human. It's by embracing the fact that I have limitations. It's by embracing the fact that I'm not reinventing humanity. I'm drawing out and utilizing it for those who need to connect more with humanity, not less. Joni Erickson Tata, who is another name that many of you may know, she's a quadriplegic, she's written many books on this. Many have asked her, and she's actually a champion of, of understanding technology and even her own suffering. As someone who dove in and, and was hit shallow waters and was, became a quadriplegic at a young age, she's been in a wheelchair all her life. And many talk to her about these kind of questions, about her body. Wouldn't you like to have new legs? Wouldn't you like to have... And, and she says, sure, these are great things. But none of them will compare to what I really need in my humanity. What really meets my need is what God is going to supply me. I could have fresh legs. I could have fresh body. I could do that technologically. But it's not going to actually meet the deepest parts of me, the needs that, I, that need to be met. This is why Jesus came in flesh. This is why he didn't come as a philosophy or something else. He came and he humbled himself in flesh for us to be met in flesh, for us to be cared for there. Because we know that what fasting does, what, what seeing our need is, is needing someone to meet us there. You know, Lent is a period in time right before um, Easter. If you know Lent, maybe many of you think that that's something that's more of a Catholic thing. It's actually not. Lent is a celebration of when Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And he actually fasted in that moment, in those days, and it talks about 
Jesus, and, and we get some slices of that in the Gospels and the narratives of how Jesus interacted with his own need, his hunger. And it says he was even afflicted even by Satan himself to say, take up that rock, make it bread, eat. I know you're hungry. And Jesus in his own work and obedience doesn't do it because he knows that we are the, the a reason he's doing it is for us. He knows that every one of us is tempted to take it up. He knows every one of us in our souls is to say, yes, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna feed myself what I need in the moment. But what feeds our deepest need is someone who goes further than that, someone who goes beyond it in Jesus to take care of our needs inside and out in humility and in kindness. See, repentance, what, what, what fasting does and this is one reason it was easy for them to look gloomy, is when you feel your hunger, and many of you know this, that hangry feeling, you know? You get angry when you get hungry. This is why they've done Snickers commercials and they've done all sorts of things about it, because we do get angry. What does it do? It forces you to think where you are. It connects you to the inner working. When you fast, when you stop, it makes you see things that you wouldn't normally see. That is what fasting is to do. That is what repentance is to do. What would it be like for you, not just for a year, but to actually, when you feel the need to pull your phone up and to scroll through something, to actually catch yourself, to actually take a moment to say, why do I need to do that? Instead of just because it's there and you have access to it, you can do it, what if you were to actually say, I'm not going to let it actually run me. I'm not going to actually, because we're, most of the time we do it, we're complacent. We're bored. And it's easy for us. When we're not posting or doing something else or not reading an email or not doing work, we just take it. We're kind of thumbing through apps. We're kind of like, I haven't seen that. Why do I have that app? You know, like <laughs> many of them just sit there. What would it be like for us to actually take a moment instead of busying ourselves and our mind with something in our pocket to actually take a look at our heart, our soul. That's what fasting does. When you don't eat a meal, you stop and you go, I'm hungry. It forces you to go, why am I not eating? Oh, right. I need to stop. I need to think. I need to reflect about what's going on in me. It drives me to that. Lent is about that. It's not, again, about saying, I'm gonna give up Cokes for 40 days. Lent is actually saying, I'm going to take a really hard look at my sin and what it produces in me. That's what it is. Couldn't we do that with our technology? Shouldn't we do that? You know, by, by the way, long before we had iPhones, the Industrial Revolution, if you look back in the history annals, you will see that they struggle with the same things at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. It's the same stuff. This just happens to fit in my pocket and not fill up a whole room. What are we doing in our souls? What are we doing with everything around us? How are we taking it in? Fasting is to help us, not just fasting food, fasting everything, is to help us with our complacency. Don't you and I need to be shaken? It would be so easy for us to leave here and go, yeah, I just need to be moderate in moderation. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying we need to be specific about afflicting our own souls in order that we can actually see what's there and for him to deal with it. The reason Jesus went to fasting 
for us. The reason Jesus did these things was because it is not our body and our blood that could actually handle this. There's not an amount of your flesh that could bring you to this table. You cannot afflict your soul enough to get this. There's only one that could afflict his soul, even to the point of death, so that we may be invited to this table to eat. He removed himself from the table so that we may be invited. There's actually a passage right after this sermon that's interesting. The disciples are in a moment where they're not fasting when they're supposed to. And everybody's going, hey, Jesus, why are your followers not fasting? And they actually say, Jesus says to them something so interesting. He says they're not fasting because of anticipation. See, fasting isn't just about congruence of your body and your soul. It's not just about your turning away from bad and good things to Jesus. It's also about your anticipation. Why do we come eat here? We're eating in anticipation. Jesus actually said to those people, he said, they're not eating at this moment because the bridegroom is with them. But there'll be a time when I leave them when they should eat. And they should be reminded that I will come back for them. Hello, table. Jesus says, our fasting, not just food, but our sin is about our anticipation that we have somebody that's going to come back to get rid of it, and we will always be satisfied. That's why this is an appetizer. That's why this isn't a four-course meal yet, because it's reminding us the anticipation of the one who took care of our sin in flesh. The things that you don't want to give up, not just Cokes, but all the things that you are unwilling to give up. And the things that you take up, Jesus took care of those on the cross and rose from the grave to defeat them so that you may come to this table. This isn't my table. This isn't Christ's prayer's table. This is Jesus' table. And to come to this table, we must come through him only. Let's stand now as we read together our liturgy this morning. A prayer for the second Sunday of Easter. Lord God, our Father, through our Savior Jesus Christ, you have assured your children of eternal life and in baptism have made us one with him. Deliver us from the death of sin and raise us to new life in your love, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Please be seated.